Alright. Hi. So welcome to that rewind show. Um well, this is Soul Rewind, which is part of that rewind show. Um the show where we rewind better cost all and tell you what happened. Um so today we're here to talk about season five. No, we're not. That's a load of bollocks. We're here to talk about season six, episode five, um, which was called Black and Blue. Right. Yes, so I'm Simon. Was... I'm yes. Simon and you're you're Jamie. That's right. I'm yeah. Jamie. Um, how was your trip back from Japan? So you're back home in Vancouver. Yeah, um, it's been a it's been a, a long it's been a difficult t- uh, journey, <laughs> um, but we're here. Um, it's Thursday night, Canada, May twelve, um, and yes, uh, in 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 the time that uh, I've uh, watched the episode of Better Call Saul, um, read some news articles, which I'll mention in a minute listened to weird studies watched a couple of other movies on the plane uh made all my notes and i've journeyed back from tokyo (laughs) across tokyo across the pacific and from vancouver to vancouver island and i'm now home yes and i'm tired i'm a little afraid around the edges here but um it should be fine yeah i I want to say about this episode that, uh, well, in the last episode, I apologized for not having much to say. The last couple of episodes with this one, <laughs> I've got rather too much to say. We should always, we should also notice or mention that in the last episode, you um, ditched your microphone into your tea, which is why it sounded a bit funny. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> but that's been resolved. Hopefully you've got a new microphone now that you're back in Vancouver. I haven't another microphone. It's not, it wasn't something I bought for this purpose. So I'm hoping it's going to sound okay, but we'll find out. Yeah, touch wood. Um, it's funny that you mentioned 512, May 12th, 512. Did you pick up on the number play? Oh, the number I, play together? I didn't. I No, I didn't make the connection. Oh, uh, well, I don't know if there's a connection with May 12th, just because that happens to be what dead is in Vancouver. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of number play around 512 in the past two episodes, um, which I'll talk about before we get started. But whenever, Good, I mean, um, this is actually, this is a sink storm for other reasons as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to I mention one thing off the top, because here um, my notes are scattered and difficult because I've made notes on a Weird Studies episode um, and on uh, two movies and as well as this episode. And um, one other thing I want to mention off the top um, um, because it sort of happened first, was that I read a news article this week that Nick Cave, you know the artist Nick Cave? No. He's a singer-songwriter. Um, oh, yes, okay. Yeah, um, I know him because I used to listen to PJ Harvey uh, back in the day. and um, But I don't know his music that well. But anyway, his, he, a, second ch- a second of his children died, and it was in the, oh, in the media this week. And I happened to read um, a quote uh which i'm just going to read directly from the news article um and it coincided which is why i want to bring it up right away so when it comes up later it's not in the episode of saul but it's related um it will make sense so the the quote from him is uh i have to bring it up now oh no it's in my images oh crap i'd be more prepared simon um he says um after the death of his first child, he had said they had moved to, from Brighton to L.A., right? Yeah. And he said Brighton had just become too sad. We did, however, return 
once we realized that regardless of where we lived, we just took our sadness with us. So I'll just put that out there that that comes from the article and if fans want to follow up um, about Nick Cave and those events, they can just look it up in the media. But he's uh, an interesting individual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other movies I watched were um, The Electric Life. And the reason why I watched two movies and why it all syncs up, because this happens sometimes, Yeah. Um, is because I had to do something on the plane. So I had watched my episode of Better Call Saul and made notes. And while I was making the notes, I would listen to the Weird Studies episode, which I tipped you off about. Did you get a chance to listen to it? I did, yeah. But I um, I struggled to make a connection, <laughs> to yeah, well, be I'm, honest. <laughs> I'm, I've made the connection, but I'm going to struggle to express it because it's difficult to get across. Yeah. Um, um, but we'll get to that. And then on the plane on the way back, this is the order of events. This matters when you're doing synchronicity because you have to make it clear the order in which things happen so that yeah. the synch synchronistic element is apparent. Um, I watched two movies. One was The Electric Life of Lewis Wayne, okay. which stars Benedict Cumberbatch. And the reason why I watched it was because I'd been puzzling over, you know, we've been puzzling over uh, Better Call Saul and how the series ties together two seemingly different plot lines. And I think that, I've been reading a bit online too, and I think that other fans of the show have the same kind of discussions. Yeah. You know, um, there's the Jimmy side of things, and then there's the um, the cartel, cartel side of things. Yeah. yeah. But in particular, it also comes out in that the earlier part of the series was heavy on Chuck and Jimmy and all that stuff. And yeah. The cartel yeah. came in strong later. Um, and so it's hard to place. I was puzzling over where to place Chuck in the overall narrative what role does it play in the Better Call Saul world vis-a-vis -vis that connected with Breaking Bad? And there was all that business around electricity and Chuck, which we never yeah. really, we understood it as a plot thing. You know, Chuck was allergic to electricity. Okay, right? Plot yeah, device. Mental illness. But apart from its symbolic resonance or what it meant in the world, it wasn't completely clear, uh, except for we think it just helped us to show how Jimmy was emerging as a character and how Saul emerged. Yes, that's right. Right. So, but I was still not certain about this electricity. So as I saw the electric life of Lewis Wayne, I thought, oh, I'll watch that electricity. Maybe that'll give me something. <laughs> and then uh, after that, I watched another movie, which is less significant, but um, it is uh, starring um, uh, uh, what's his face? Oh, crap. I'm going to blank now. Uh, it's called um, Nightmare Alley. And it's got Kate uh, Blanchett, again, looking beautiful and stunning and doing another great, amazing performance, as she always does. Yeah. And um, that other fella, why am I going to blank his name? That's so terrible. My brain just doesn't work sometimes. Um, but anyway, he's like a, he, he joins the, the, the circus thing and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go into that one. It's less significant. The more significant one's The Electric Life of Lewis Wayne. And if anyone wants to do this after the show, if they aren't bored witless um, or thinking, Jesus, what's this guy on? They should do <laughs> this. They should watch it all. And then the Weird Studies episode, which we have to mention, was um, episode number shit. Weird Studies, while you look that up, Weird Studies is an arts and philosophy podcast for people who have never come across it before. Perfect. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, I just took, took that for granted. Um, the episode of Weird Studies um, was the second, the, not the very latest one, but the right one right before that um, about dreams. It's called, uh, uh, it's about dreaming anyway, and it's about two movies called One's The Bandwagon, a Fred Astaire movie of 1953, and the other is Mandy, a Nick Cage movie from um, 2018. 
Yeah. What episode? Yeah. Can you remember the episode number? I texted you to ask the episode number. You did. Yeah, yeah. It's right it's there. One, episode 121, if anybody's interested. Um, although I, I did listen to it. And I, I, to be honest, I struggled to make the connection apart from okay. when they were talking about movement and how characters move and and things and with Jimmy bouncing about the boxing ring and stuff that, like that. But that's that's part of it. Yeah. Just a part. Um, but anyway, we'll get to that when we get to that. We'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah. All right. We're going to get that- to it right away, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your intro done? That's my, that's me done. Well, I just wanted to talk about the number play at the head of the show as well, just because it came up um, in the last episode was whenever I thought there has to be something in the number play um, because it was part of Howard's um, conversation with the therapist that we saw at the start of season, at the start of episode um, four, I guess it would have been where Howard's meeting with the therapist and he's talking about his dream. And what kind of got me thinking about the numbers was Howard's dream and Howard's dream he made a comment about how um, he was trying to help this old man find his airport gate, but all of the signs were written in a language that he couldn't understand. That's right. So I thought there must be something in the signs that the, the, the writers are telling us that there's hidden meaning in the signs. And then I kind of put it together and thought, well, airport gates are numbers, so there must be something in the numbers. Um, yes. And then I was trying to pay attention to the numbers in that episode, and I couldn't really connect them because they're all... Um, a bit abstract and then in this episode um, whenever Howard reversed out of the car parking space after him and Cliff have an interaction about um, Jimmy's scam this is where Howard kind of puts things together um, my attention was drawn to Howard's number plate and the tag in his number plate was 05 December which is 512 if you right. remember into, into um into numbers Not numerical format yeah so at that stage i went back then through the previous episodes and see to see where i could put together 512 or, or those those digits and they're absolutely wow. everywhere you have been um, busy <laughs> <laughs> well it was quite quick because i had, i was already aware of where the numbers were <clears throat> so i'll take you through them all um no just because i couldn't do it as we move along it wouldn't be as significant i, I think we really should just hammer home the point that we're recording this on may 12th I know, and it's that's not, well in the UK. Inside. In the UK, yeah. where I watched oh, it and I put it together, like today is May thirteenth in the UK because of the okay. time difference. Yeah. But I put it together on May twelfth was the other like little piece of sync. So okay. I put it together on five twelve. Right. Um, so Gus's house is twelve thirteen. So that was the first time we come across the number twelve. Okay. Hired shrink, the office, um, was 100 to 120. So 120 divided by 100 is 1.2. Um, okay. Hired's tag on his number plate is 0512. Um, the coffee shop where Cliff and Kim met, um, the number on the curbstone was 3220. So 3 and 2 is 5. And 32 minus 20 is 12. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> The mural that Jimmy and the sex worker pull up to, so they pull up in the car um, where they're waiting for the, um, I can't remember actually, is that when Jimmy pulls up, I think it is that the sex worker's Wendy is in the car with him, so they pull up waiting for the nod from Kim, and on the mural on the wall, there was the dice that we commented on, which was 8, 2, and 64. I don't know how it didn't click for us at the time, that 8 squared is 64, 8 times 8 is 64, which okay, is yeah. so it's 8 squared is 64. Sure. Um, but then I thought 8 times 64 
is 512. 512. <laughs> and, and then the red house, so Nacho's red house, yeah. 4526. And I thought, well, if we forget the two, like we did with the eight times 456, you get four times five times six, which is 120. So again, the number okay. one, the number is one, two. Um, in this episode then, so in this current episode that we're in, um, we meet Gus in his office and he's doing a bit of paperwork and he gets up and goes to walk out into the restaurant. He's got five yellow shirts hanging on the reel. So yeah. there's five yellow shirts on the reel. And the customer he serves asks yeah. for a 12-piece bucket. 12 so again, bucket. you've got five 12, and extra <laughs> spicy. And then this is where it gets, there's a wee bit of a stretch in this one, right? So I noticed that above Howard, whenever Howard and Cliff are having their conversation in the car park, above Howard, whenever we're looking from the front of their cars out to the car park, if you look above Howard, there's a number written backwards, like somebody's just written it in the dirt on the wood. And it's 5.34339. And then later on in the scene, we cut to where we're looking at Cliff. And above Cliff, that same number is written in the dirt above his head, but only it's forward. So it's um, 5.34339. So I kind of went back to see where I could find that number come up. Um, And the only place I could find it would be 64. So where you do the eight times or eight squared is 64. And if you divide 64 by 12, you get 5.3. Okay. So that's where that, that kind of came up. Um, but above Cliff's head at the same time is the number 21, um, which is 12 backwards. Um, yeah. And then um, Howard and Cliff are in numbered parking spaces. So the numbers are in the rafters. So Cliff is parked in space number 38 and Howard is parked in space number 40. So they're having a conversation standing in space number 39. Three plus nine is 12. Um, and then a little bit of a stretch is mm-hmm. 38 times 40, um, which is 152. So it's the same numbers, but or it's 152. So 38 times 40 is 1520, but it, the numbers right. are in a slightly different order. Yeah. Then we get to the boxing ring. So Howard punches Jimmy five times. Um, I did the punches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of lost kind of Jimmy's punches. I counted nine, but it could have been 12. I don't know. Um, the boxing place is number one five one two, and right. that's the number outside. And on the 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 board next door is the number fifteen hundred. Um, then the next place I picked it up on was hired or no Gus's neighbor's car. So Mike is being dropped off in Gus's neighbor's house. Yeah, in the trunk. Yes, and the number plate of her car is um literally eight and four, eight and four, eight and oh. four is twelve. Oh, good. And then it's written afterwards, duh, D-O-U. So eight and four, duh. The tag in her number plate is April 05. So it's 05 April. 05 Mm -hmm. divided by four is 1.2. Whenever Mike goes into the house, the security guard tells him that a bike drove past at 540. And five divided by 40 is not 0.12. So it's all (laughs) over the place. Um, Okay. Um, in the pit, Mike makes reference to 42 cubic yards of dirt um, mm. that caps the path. So a yard is 30, sorry, it's 420, 420 cubic yards of dirt. Um, a yard is 36 inches. Um, 420 times 36 is 1,512. Right. Um, so it all is around this 512. And then I went right back because I thought that Mike's comment about cubes was quite interesting because we hit eight eight squared and Mike was talking about cubic feet. So 
And that's when I put it together that 512 is the cube of eight. Right. So eight times eight times eight is 512. Um, So I wonder if what the writers are getting at is a key plot twist or a key plot point in episode eight. I also wonder if there might have been something mentioned in season five, episodes one and two. Oh, you know what? Um, went, my first thought was like, oh, I wonder if something happened in season five, episode 12. And then I realized that there was no episode wasn't 12. One. That's what was <laughs> in my head. Yeah. There was no season five, episode 12, but um, there were season five, episodes one and two. And we were doing the episodes as dual pairs at that time. We, we were finding things that would go through two episodes and there would be thematic connections as uh, when taking the episodes as yeah. pairs. Um, so, um, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, without actually us sitting down to read over those notes, maybe um, we'll we should take a look at it. Um, yeah, later. for but sure. That's brilliant. Very good. But I thought that was really apt. And then I discovered it on five twelve. It's five twelve now in Vancouver when we're talking about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very funny. Like very very peculiar. Very neat timing. And um, I mean, it's worth pointing out that we are doing this. At, the, at this odd time because I was in Tokyo and uh, coming back here. So this has been the only way for us to manage our Better Call Saul podcast with yeah. the new TV schedule. So, so yeah, um, so let's, let's get stuck in then, shall we? Yeah, sure. The opening sequence. Um, uh, yeah. General notes about the episodes. Um, there's a lot of slow uh, out zooming, zooming out shots yeah. And uh, a lot of white lamps everywhere um, or white light shining down from above. Yeah. Um, but the first sequence is where I want to get into the measurements because this first opening sequence, while well, with the um, where we see um, Werner's plaque uh, being created. Yeah. Um, w- we see a fluid measured, mo- fluid measured moments like the fluid, the, the fluidity is important because it's the. Uh, it's a fluid uh, moment, I guess. Uh, the movement in the present yeah. moment. I really and... liked, like, whenever they were pouring the the liquid into the mold, um, yeah. all the air bubbles, and then whenever they put it into the the thing that they put it in, I don't know, is it an oven or something that you see all yeah. the air bubbles rising to the top? Like, I thought that was a beautiful, beautifully shot um, moment in the show. It was just with the music and everything else going on. It just felt very soothing and very calming. You know what yeah, I mean? For it sure. was weird. I mean, this episode had, had did have a sort of time dilation effect where, I don't know about you, but I felt that the episode was, it felt like it was longer than it actually was. Yeah. And um, yeah, the bubbles is one instance. And then we see the laser um, carving the, and That's the laser right. is another example of a measured, deliberate movement. And you remember that you commented on hard and how his movements were very measured and deliberate. Yes. Whenever um, he gets out of the car and he turns, yeah. he literally turns to, to lock it outside his therapist's office. Yeah. It was funny. Well, it goes on throughout this episode. Now, um, this measured movements, there's a number of scenes where we see a character pacing their steps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gus does it a few times. Uh well, well, we'll 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 see it as it comes up. So this idea of a measured movement is consistent throughout the episode. Yeah, for sure. And I yeah. thought the the movement of the bubbles rising to the surface is quite apt for this episode. Like things are starting to rise to the surface. Howard discovers the scam. Um, it clicked whenever Howard discovered it, and uh, 
that's when it kind of clicked for me that he was supposed to discover it. Like this is part of the scam, him finding out what they're doing is part of the setup. Um, right. So yeah, things rising up to the surface is, is very, I thought very apt for this episode. And yep. um, the engraving on the little plaque in Love You're Young, um, I thought was quite nice too. Yes, that's right. And then, um, so this is it. This, the plaque is being created and we see that lovely process um, with some really lovely music going over it there. Um, yeah, yeah, and then then we uh, get the intro, right, with the... Uh, bus bench, wasn't it the, a bus the, bench? The, yeah, the bus bench advertising. And then Kim is lying in bed and... At 3.17, did you catch yeah. the time in the clock? Yeah, um, which, in, which in the reflection is lie. Yes, that's right. Yep. That's right. I didn't catch that the first time. It was on my third watch of this episode that I caught that. <laughs> I don't know. I well, don't know why I missed it the other times and twelves. <laughs> I know. I do. I missed you're like, it. oh, it's not a twelve. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so she's bathed in yellow again. So we see a return of the color yellow in this episode. Um, yeah. And she gets up and uh, starts to check the locks. She's starting to get a wee bit paranoid, a wee bit nervous. Um, she starts yeah. to check the locks, looks out the window in the peephole and um, puts a chair up against the door to, to secure her and Jimmy in the apartment. That's right. Looking through the peephole. Um, again, this is like an, almost an echo of Nacho looking at the world yeah. through holes. And um, right. in this scene, I didn't necessarily notice it, but I read a, a fan wrote on a New York Times article that uh, Kim shot in bars of light here because of the light coming through the slats yes and we've seen that a few times so we commented on that a couple of times when she was in el camino she was shot through in bars there were bars in the windows and the bars casting shadow in the hotel room where her and jimmy went at the end of season five right um wasn't there weren't there bars or shadows of bars being cast against like one of the walls there i think and um, right. so yeah we've we've picked up on that a few times too it's interesting yeah, is absolutely. she headed for jail? Is that what they're saying? Kim's going to end up in jail. Well, we'll find out, I guess. Um, also, in this scene, there's a slow movement in this scene too. Like, yeah. um, not much happens in the scene. Uh, Jimmy comes out. Uh, she, Kim pretends she's just woken up. She's going to do some work, but she's put the chair under the door handle. Yes. Jimmy notices it, but he, in his mind, Lalo is dead, and Kim knows he's alive, and he yeah. kind of comments, but. He does that. He feels a bit paranoid too, I guess, is what he's saying. You know, he's yes. glad he's not the only one. Um, we do see a return of the color red in this episode too. So in the bookcase behind Kim, there was a little stack of red and blue books. Um, and yeah. I actually started to wonder then if the red and blue isn't actually um, the two storylines. So we've got the red, which is the cartel storyline, the kind of criminal underworld and the blue, which is the law and um, the legal world. Um, so I wondered if that was maybe an interpretation of the red and blue too. Maybe. Um, but yeah, red and blue comes up a few times in the episode. Well, I feel that blue's been strongly associated with Jimmy. Um, uh, but uh, for reasons that we'll get into later, I think that it somehow relates to um, the magic, uh, Jimmy's magic hands, his magic magician ways, and uh, his uh, yeah. Is imaginal thinking, imagining a world um, is really, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. I have some ideas here, okay. but, um, and I don't know how good they are, but we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, red, yeah, but the red is definitely menacing. You know, red was, uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. That could be um, it. It's just that they're building up to like uh, 
like somebody else's uh, another character's death like they did with Nacho yeah. like in the episodes in the run up to Nacho's death the red was everywhere you know right. so it could just be that that's that's one of the tricks that they used to build um to build that kind of menacing tone for sure um yeah and then we got a, a minute or two a good minute i'm sure where um Kim moves the hum- brings the chair over and moves the humidifier onto it. And our humidifier is where you pour water into it, and it's a yeah. pouring of liquid and measure measurements. And oh, then yes, Jim okay. goes to the coffee machine where you measure out your coffee and pour your fluid into it. Yeah. And it's just a deliberate compa- uh, pairing of those two things where nothing yeah. else is happening except I he's see. making coffee and she's moving the humidifier. Yeah, that's right. We see her move it the first time when she puts the chair under the under the, the thing. Like I did notice right. that, that they deliberately drew attention whenever she moved it back. Like it just yeah. seemed like quite an odd thing to do. Like you set the chair down and she's put in the humidifier back where it belongs. But like, it's not like yeah. she's going to use the ironing board. You know what I mean? But this is just it. See, she could just as easily have picked up a chair that had nothing on it. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, so why why do they put it in there? The humidifier. Know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is part of the, uh, the I think this is part of what's happening in this show, but it's not just a trait of this show. That's what was brought out in that weird studies episode is this is a trait of film and movies and TV in general. Yeah, uh, that um, well, I'll introduce the concept here because I don't know how well we're going to be able to get into it. But basically, when we're in normal life, we're in the narrative of life, right? Yeah, we're not really paying attention to the physical movements that underwrite everything in life yeah so like when you're driving your car to work you might be thinking about how you hate your boss or your job or <laughs> the thing you should have done you want to take the laundry out or something but you're not really thinking about the act of driving your car yeah your foot you, on the accelerator um, and changing yeah. the gears and yeah when you're cleaning your body in the shower you're not thinking about the mechanics of the soap you're, you're thinking about i'm a clean guy yeah, or the right? joint it's, in your arm and how the joint in your arm moves. And yeah, 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 exactly. And so, but whenever, now that's how we go through life. So we don't really notice the movement in life. The yeah. movement is like a, it's it's subtle. It's beneath our awareness. Yeah. But whenever you put a camera on, when a director's making a film or a TV show, they have to make decisions about what movement they're going to show. Yeah, yeah. And right uh, and so it divides your, there's a division there, right? Where they can suddenly show movements for themselves. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And our minds can separate out an experience of movement over an experience of narrative in a way that we don't normally do in real life. Oh yeah. Okay. So that's where the weird studies thing comes in because that's about musicals and the movement in musicals and yes. Okay. Yeah. And that that's kind partly of- it the dream state and yeah okay yeah and they do that in better call Saul all the time they've been doing this throughout the series is is showing us just movement yeah 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 okay yeah. interesting interesting yeah. um in this scene we also get a throwback to chuck where it's the first in this there's two there's two points in this episode where we talk about jimmy back in cicero jimmy does it himself here when he said um the nuns in cicero would send him to hell but and um, thank God he's dead is what he's saying in reference to Chuck. Thank God Chuck's dead and he's not here to witness this, to bear witness. Well, I took it that he was referring to Lalo, but you're, you're right. It is Chuck, isn't it? I thought it was Chuck. Yes. I thought it was Chuck. That's funny because maybe he did mean Lalo. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I thought <laughs> I think like, the fact that you read Chuck into it's probably good because I think it might at least be a double meaning. 
Yeah, like he sits down and he feels very remorseful and says um, that he said, you never would have been here if, and then she cuts him off, if I hadn't. And um, okay. she's t- he's talking to Kim and said, you never would have been here if I hadn't have done whatever. And she cuts okay. him off. So he feels very bad about the situation that Kim, Kim's in. And right. then he said, thank God he's dead. Um, the nuns and sister would send him to hell, but thank God he's dead. Um, and I thought he was talking about Chuck because why would he feel guilty about saying thank God Lalo said? I think you he's thinking about the situation that they're in with the cartel and with everything else that's going on. And he's saying thank God Chuck isn't here to bear witness to this. And he still is yeah. hung up on how on on what Chuck thinks of him, and he's still worried about the impression that he's making with Chuck. Right. You know that Chuck kind of still haunts Jimmy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think there's also quite that that I, it makes me realize that's quite a direct comment from Jimmy, where he's saying this wouldn't have happened because of me or with not for what I something I did. Yeah. But one of my reflections on this whole Better Call Saul and what it all is is that this is something about Jimmy or Better Call Saul and how he is like a talisman that brings this entire world into being and and yeah, everything that right. comes into it comes into it through him somehow. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um interesting so then we cut over to gus at los polos Mm -hmm. hermanos um it was in this scene that i realized that the the los polos logo has blue and red or no it has blue and yellow and green in it and at different points sometimes it's green and sometimes there isn't um so gus is doing some paperwork um, and we see the blue red and yellow of the los polos um logo i already mentioned that he has five shirts hanging on the the pole he fixes himself and he checks his gun and he heads off out into the kitchen um he walks through the kitchen and ends up on the till and uh we get a nice reminder of mad madrigal so we get a call back to the madrigal scene with um gus's mention of their signature curly fries yeah yeah with a big smile on his face um yeah in this scene um another example of the slow paced walk as gus comes out of his office we see two tro- two things that go through this episode one is there's a lamp above his desk, um, the light uh, shade, but yes. there's no bulb in it, but it's white. Oh, I didn't notice that. So there's there's a theme of white light coming down from above. And then yeah. Gus, as Gus walks out of the office, he slowly walks around looking at things. He That's paced, it. It's a paced walk, a measured paced walk out to the front. Yeah. And I yep. felt that the lady, there was a lady dusting the chicken. Like that's how they create KFC and that type of fried chicken is they dip the chicken in water and then they roll it in the flour. Um, yeah. And I thought she was moving very slowly. Like I, whenever I was much, much younger, I did a period of like a week and a half, two weeks in a chicken shop. <laughs> and that is done really quickly. Like whenever you work in a chicken shop, you're working really quickly. So I thought that yeah. she was moving very, very, very slowly for the type of environment that she's in. That Well, good. Perfect. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. It's a slow measured movement. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so we get a really, a really God, Gus's paranoia is really taking another step up in this episode. Yeah, he's um, losing it's, it. It's been building for a while. Like we had a listener write in, let me see if I can get what they said. Um, that um, this was from, oh my God, where from Reginald. Um, and he said that in Breaking Bad, Gus is, is really composed and really calculated, intimidating and charming. But in this, we see like a, a different side to him where over the past few episodes, like he sent this in probably 
about um, a week and a half ago in response to episode four, I think it was. Um, and he said that uh, that he's really been unraveling, which we've seen. So he's been unraveling and we have this monstrous paranoia that's starting to dominate everything that he does. And that right. definitely comes across in this scene. It's like it's almost reaching a crescendo, like whenever he faces out while he's serving that customer and ends up out in the car park. And then later on in this episode, whenever he's scrubbing the shower with his toothbrush, um, yeah. it just goes up to a completely different height. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, thanks for writing in and sharing your thoughts. Anybody else can do that. It's all rewind at gmail.com. Um, yeah. So carry on. Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, Gus goes outside, then he, he sort of tunes out um, the guy ordering his food, his 12 piece bucket with extra spicy and uh, whatever. Yeah. And he goes outside and we get this lovely shot of Gus. It's in, from below looking up at the sky and there's a storm, stormy threatening sky. Yeah, that's um, right. He's standing yeah. on his path. So in between the two um, lines of cars there's two yellow lines forming a path so Gus is standing on the path which is the El Camino and um, so we've talked about the symbolism in people being on their path we know uh-huh. Kim um, has been spending a lot of time at the El Camino dining room like almost every scene where we meet Kim now she's either in the apartment or in the El Camino dining room um, mm-hmm. so again Gus is on shown on this path um, he's okay. standing in between two um, we get two Los Polos Hermanos logos in the scene. There's definitely something going on that they're trying to say with the, the logo. I think it might be the color play. So whenever he sets the pen down on the desk, it's a really close-up shot of the logo. And then whenever this is panned out, we get the logo on the sign, which is where it's the green and the yellow, and then the logo above him on the restaurant, and which is yeah. where you see the red and the blue and the yellow. But yeah, cool. Interesting. And um, the sun is setting, and you're right with the rolling clouds coming in behind him. Um, yeah. a really nice shot I thought too yeah and we so cut to another scene. favorite another one yeah. of our favorite characters Erin Erin Brill yeah she's doing a charming job of trying to um, calm the concerns of the Sandpiper yeah. residents um, but um, she starts to struggle a little bit when they start to give her some uh, adverse feedback on the That's time it. it's taking Well, she's talking about discovery and she's explaining what discovery is. And she said it's when both parties are able to discover information that's relevant to the claims at issue, which I thought is quite like this whole episode is about discovery. It's about her discovering what's happening with Jimmy and Kim. Um, So, again, I thought that was quite nicely written into the script that she's she's trying to explain to to her audience what discovery is as the writers are explaining to us what's happening in the episode. Yeah, good point. The theme Um, of this episode is discovery. Lalo's also up to some discovery as well. That's right. He's discovered something, um, which yeah. we see at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then, um, so she says there's sometimes a protracted, I'm not sure if she actually uses the word protracted timeline, the phrase, but I think something like that. And yeah, so this again is like um, the measurement of movement. In this, in this case, they're talking about um, the, protract, the protracted timeline refers to the movement through time. Um, being measured out and expanded and uh, then hard has to jump in to save the day and he does a classic hard salesmanship job of um of uh, bringing it home to the sandpiper residents that what they're doing is for justice yes (laughs) that's right and erin is very impressed she's looking at hard with these big eyes she's like hanging on every word bit of an infatuation yeah um 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're definitely um being being led to hold hard in high esteem here. Totally. He says, I mean, what and hard says something else key here too, which is going towards what I'm going to try to argue later, is that um he says, wouldn't you want to live in a world where everyone trusts? Kind of trust everyone. I'm like, what are you talking about, Hard? Like, what reality do you live in? But also, yeah, he, yeah. Also, what it kind of says is that Howard, like Chuck, is not comfortable in the rea- in the in the world that that Better Call Saul or Saul Goodman is creating. Yeah, right for sure. And characters that aren't comfortable in this world often that leave it, leave it, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. they leave it. But Jimmy himself isn't very comfortable at the minute. Like we've seen this over the past few episodes in this episode. Again, it comes up where he just there's certain points where he just looks so pained and so uncomfortable. Yes. Um, but yeah, well, you can be very uncomfortable in a world of your own creating like your nightmares. Oh, of course for you can. Yeah, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, at the end, everybody or or Aaron is congratulating Howard um, and Cliff sends her off back to the office. And then we get this conversation out in the car park between Howard and Cliff about um, what's happening. Cliff is coming to Howard as a friend and saying, you know, um, that he sees what's happening and, and kind of laying it all out for him. I thought here um, the the structure that they're in is quite interesting, like the timber, the old timber parking structure, I thought looked a bit yeah. out of place. Um, But again, maybe it's just an aging facility, Um, but it's like the camera angles were deliberately placed to call attention to the rafters and how the rafters look and and everything else. Like, um, uh, do you remember the scene in courtroom in the courtroom with Jimmy where that huge scene started to appear above him on the ceiling? Like it was the leak in the mold growing on the ceiling right above heart, right above Jimmy. Here we see another big stain growing on the car park roof above Howard. Um, no, right. I don't know if it means anything. I don't know. But um, Cliff has pretty much has retold the story to Howard and now Howard is repeating it back to himself about how um, he kicked a woman out of his car in the middle of the street. And mm-hmm. Howard seems quite shocked and he can't respond. Um, and Cliff gets quite concerned and seems quite angry. You know the way you can be quite angry, but it's like a concerned kind of anger. Yes. Yeah. Rather than like a, a violent kind of anger. Um, and he just needs Howard to know that he knows um and it's uh here where uh Howard puts it all together so Cliff is talking about the namaste plate and everything else um, and Howard puts it together with the baggy in the country club the business yeah. meeting with Kim and that his problem is a Jimmy problem and not a coke problem apart from Howard's deliberate movements uh, I um didn't see much here no apart from all the number play that I mentioned before Yes, right, yeah. Um, yeah, that was it. He calls, um, I thought it was odd that he called his assistant, I think his assistant's name is Linda, and cleared his whole week. So he obviously has a fair idea of what he's going to do. We mm-hmm. see the start of that in, um, later on in the episode um, where he calls, he calls Linda and tells her to clear his week. Right. The other thing I noticed about this, which was quite odd, was um, in one of the scenes, you kind of get a more panned out shot of the rafters and up in the rafters, there are, um, do you know how in like old Westerns and stuff, and I guess in some, some horror films, you get like um, graves that are marked with two crossed sticks, bits of wood. Okay. And yeah. I noticed that across the rafters, there are all these X's in wood that looked very similar to how that would be done in the desert. So again, I thought it might be a foretelling of what, um, or a foreshadowing of 
of Howard's demise, which is potentially yeah. coming up in episode eight. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so from there over to um, Francesca, who's um, hesitantly approaching Jimmy's new uh, yeah. premises uh, with a long lineup of miscreants. Yeah, uh, that's right. Waiting to talk to the the magic man. That's right. They're all queued up at the door again. And um, one of the characters, the, the guy at the top of the queue, had 505 shaved into his head, which is another... I saw that, but didn't line. think about... I wondered what that might mean. Yeah, I know, but I, I don't know that it's connected to the, the 512, apart from it being a 5, but it would have, I guess, yeah, maybe it's a different number play or something. Well, there were S-like squiggles all over this scene, all yes, over the walls. that's of right. The I noticed there's that. Like, there are squiggles like this. And I thought maybe that was also just part of the same the pattern. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, certainly that's on, on the toilet on the inside, there's the random toilet has the, the U-bend or whatever you call it in a toilet. Yes. Um, and I thought this is again talking about the fluid, fluid movement yeah. or the movement of fluid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy referred to the toilet as being garbaggio, which I thought might be a yeah. Uh, a little foretelling of how he plans to decorate in the Italian, <laughs> the yeah. Italian Greek kind of style, right? Um, so she, Fran- Francesca, doesn't seem very impressed with what's happening, and she wonders where Kim is, um, and how Jimmy ended up as Saul Goodman and ended up here, and she she doesn't seem to be very engaged until Jimmy offers her a nice big bribe, so he's going to double her salary, and um, he pays her a signing bonus. Right. Um. She wants to know why, why her, and he said that it's he, it's because he trusts her again. That the 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 trust thing is coming up, and he wants to make it up to her what happened before. Um. But yeah, she doesn't seem too plant too too interested until she's offered the signing bonus, and then she just wants a a say in how it's um decorated. The office is decorated. Yeah. Which was a funny yeah. little line. Yeah. Um. Yep. And from there, we cut off to Kim. I wonder, like, about the toilet, before we move on to the toilet, I wonder that if the toilet is just, like, another little throwback to Chandler, yeah. the talking toilet. Is that one of our favourite? <laughs> like, it's certainly one of my favourite scenes, the talking toilet yeah. scene. Um, I thought maybe that was just a nice little throwback. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so we head off to join Kim um, on her path at the El Camino dining room, um, where she's meeting Viola. Yeah, the- uh, yeah, we see uh, we see Kim again shot uh, through bars or or with um, the shadow of bars cast on her. That's right. Yeah. So we see her three glass. So whenever we join Kim, we look at her three glass again, yeah. which was a theme that we noticed with Nacho and as we approached his death. Um, and yeah, you're right. There were bars in the window. Also in the scene with, with the, the scene earlier with Gus, um, the first the first shot we're looking at him through the bars of his uh, his basket it's square bars and we're looking up at him through his oh, out basket the paper tray yes okay yeah, yeah. interesting mm-hmm. um so we join kim and Vi- viola is it viola is that how you pronounce it kim and viola Viola, yeah, something like that. Viola, Viola, I don't know. Yeah, and they're having a good old catch up about how um, Mesa Verde has calmed down and that um, Viola's now been moved on to Sandpiper. I didn't realize that Schweik and Coke were involved in Sandpiper. I must have missed that episode. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think, yeah, you're right. I, I, I have only a very fuzzy memory, but I guess they're defending Sandpiper. Yeah. Yeah. Are they? 
Yeah, I think they're defense uh, for Sandpiper. Oh, interesting. But, I, but I'm not sure. I, I could be way off. Out there right now, there are fans like laughing at my stupidity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most probably. Um, that's interesting. But would that not have been a conflict of Kim going to work for them because she had worked for HHM? But I guess she hadn't worked. Yeah, she had worked for HHM on the Sandpiper case. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's interesting. Sure. Um, anyway, so um, we don't realize, I guess, at this scene that the purpose of their meeting is to get this piece of information about the judge out of Viola. That's why the meeting has right. been set up. Um, but we have this kind of awkward moment where Viola is talking all about Kim and how much she admires her and um, is is uh, really impressed with the work that she's doing in public defense and, and she totally understands why she's doing it. Um, and Kim looks a bit uncomfortable. And again, it's this um, this moment where Kim Amur is being held up to Kim and she's kind of seeing herself that actually Foyle is looking up to her and is really it loves what she sees and, and aspires to be mm-hmm. like Kim. And actually Kim is running a scam on her and isn't what she seems. She's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, interesting your point about the reflection there because there's a lot of reflections in these episodes too. Um, a lot of mirrored reflections. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, whenever Kim's talking or whenever Viola is talking about that, Kim almost looks quite guilty. Um, and yeah, and we cut back to then the apartment um, with... She, Viola also said something about changing direction, like how Kim had uh, changed direction. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, and I'm not sure what to make of that. I mean, it is somewhat of a movement-oriented comment, but it does refer to Kim's path on the road, as you're saying. That yeah, at a that's right. Point, um, she changed direction. She but did. Well, there's the two changes. So we have the yeah. change whenever she left Schweik and Coke to go off and pursue an interest in public defense pro bono cases. Mm-hmm. So that's the change of direction that. Um, Viola means that's the one that she's observed but the other change right. in direction is from Kim being like a straight-laced um, lawyer to being like another um, wolf yeah. like Jimmy you know the, yeah. the scammer yeah. um, interesting so yeah from there we jump over to Jimmy um, and he's pulling outside pulling up outside um, number 1512 which is the boxing club um, and he's there to see Mr. Ward um, so we we join Jimmy as he's on the phone to Francesca and he's talking about why he's there and the other things that he's got coming up. Um, and he heads yeah. in then to meet with Howard, who is Mr. Ward. At the start of the scene, I, I kind of wondered whether it would be Lalo. Would he turn the corner and find Lalo there? Mm-hmm. Um, because we just have this, um, the, the boxing club owner, I guess, who's showing him in without speaking. Yeah, so um, it's here now. Um, of course, um, the, the Mackie comes to the door slowly. So again, the slow pacing. As Jim walks in, he paces slowly towards hard. Then he, he, he turns to walk out. Then he goes back. Um, and then when Jimmy's leaving after the, after the, the, the showdown, um, he's moving slowly because he's all hurt and everything. But yeah. um, now, interesting, in this movie, The Electric Life of Lewis Wayne, um, there's also, now let me just give a brief synopsis, um, but it's it's a fantastic movie starring Benedict Cumberbatch, and I, I'm sorry, I forget the name of the lady actor's name, um, but she's fantastic in it too. Um, there's a lot of great acting in it, but um, 
he is uh, based on a real life person who was a cat artist. Okay. And he he popularized cats uh, in, this, in such a way that I didn't realize that if you go back to the 1880s or whenever it was said, 1884 or something, um, cats weren't kept as pets. Really? They, yeah, they weren't. And people didn't think of them as pets. They just thought them as um, of a sort of a human associated creatures that would catch mice and birds and stuff. But nobody would really keep a cat as a pet. Yes. OK. But his artwork with cats and his fascination with them uh, helped to popularize the cat and they became a pet uh, partly in virtue of his work right okay and uh if you see the art in the show you'll recognize the style you'll say yeah, yeah. i've seen that before right um but anyway his life is truly tragic um he he fell in love with the, the governess he his family had uh, had money but mm-hmm. he the parents son had died and this, he has sisters and the, the mother and the daughters that could, didn't marry off. So he was the only man of the house, but he was never able to successfully manage money. Yeah. So the family went downhill and he married, uh, he fell in love with a governess who was uh, hired onto the staff, but she was lower class. So it was a social faux pas. He wasn't allowed to yeah. do that. So marrying outside of class, but he did it anyway. Um, so this, what you like about this is it's called the electric life. He has this weird fascination with electricity and he thinks yeah. electricity drives time and electricity propels us through, it propels and powers the present moment. Oh, I see. Okay. And um, the entire film is soaked in blue. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, blue. Very it, interesting. It's blue, partly in terms of the choices of the characters even though it's never talked about that they choose blue things. Yeah. But there's also blue scenery, which is beyond coincidence. Yeah. Um, so it's a blue world. And she, he falls in love with her and she is like the magic of the world to him. You see. Yeah. And he sees the beauty in the world and he creates these, he, he pictures cats as humans, basically, you know, people draw characters of animals doing human things. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's important for another reason, but we may not get into it all today and that's fine. Um, but uh, in any case, um, what happens is she gets cancer and after they have, they have what they sort of refer to in the movie as a six month fantasy world where they get mm-hmm. married against the social norms. And, um, uh, but then she develops cancer and she ultimately dies within a very short time period. And then he, um, he, has this grief that uh, he then carries with him for the rest of his life. And uh, he's, he was already very mentally unstable to begin with. But um, anyway, towards the start, to halfway through the movie, there's this boxing sequence. Right, okay. And he, he's raving about time. And he says he, to one of his friends, and he says, I'm going to read it. He says... Um, he says to his friend, they're watching the boxing and it's one little guy up against some big guy, but the little guy is doing really well because he's a great performer. Right. And he says he knows how to harness the electricity of the crowd. Right. Yeah. And then he tells his friend, look properly. Electricity is what pushes us through time. We turn the past into the future with the power of our electricity. And that process is entirely reversible. Imagining the past is no different than imagining the future. And he says, do you see what I'm saying? And so 
uh, <laughs> it's really, really weird because a few weeks ago when I was thinking about time, I had exactly the same thought. In fact, I might've said it to you in a conversation that imagining the past moment, the pa past present moment is exactly the same as imagining a future present moment in yeah. terms of the quality of the experience. It's just a moving present moment. It's a yeah, movement, yeah. right? And all we ever have really is the present moment. But anyway, that's a side issue. Um, but anyway, it's all about this electricity and the extreme amount of blue in the world, which we've also seen in this world. And there's an idea sort of connoted that, that um, in these mo moments of movement, like as they discuss in the Weird Studies episode, right, where uh, in musicals, it's dance scenes in, uh, uh, in it, but it's also in sports, in boxing, right? Think about boxing, right? It's, it's, uh, it's about the movement itself, right? But yeah, you know the way I was saying, right. think about the narrative and the movement differently. Yeah. In real life, we just think about the narrative and we don't really look at the movements. That's but right. But in things like musicals or sports, the yeah. movement becomes the essence of the experience. That's, yeah, that's right. Now, you are thinking to yourself as you're watching it, I hope Manchester United wins. Come on, Manchester United. <laughs> or you're supporting your boxer, yeah. right? But the actual game has nothing to do like whether one per, like the fact that there's winners and losers isn't actually a feature of the game the game is just the movement in the game like the yeah. movement in a dance you see what i'm saying yeah so that's what's being commented on here this this is hilarious because in this in this episode they really brought out the measured movements right they really brought our attention they close to that to, yeah and then they showed us this boxing match, which was like a farce of movements, you know, these two idiots who can't box to save their lives are sort of stumbling around oh the God, ring. Oh my I know, especially at each other. me, yeah. <laughs> so that was it. That was the purposeful, um, that that was the, the build up. That's, yeah, that's what they were getting at there. And it's the, it's the clumsiness. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm not sure. I can't connect all this together, but I have to get it out. Um, yeah, because I yeah. believe it all relates. Um, but yes. Um, oh, well, yeah. And um, important to mention that in the Weird Studies episode, um, they talk about Mandy and the bandwagon. So it's the same idea in Fred Astaire, uh, where yeah. Fred Astaire dances. And um, uh, uh, the quote that the guy from Weird Studies reads, he reads a quote um, from uh david thompson's biogra biographical dictionary of film which i'll just reread he says of fred astaire um it's a pure cinema something something because it's a lifelike uh presentation of human beings in magical dreamlike and imaginary situations yeah right so the reason why football boxing musical numbers the reason why these are fantasy situations is because the movement itself is not something we normally look at in life. So whenever our attention's drawn to it, it brings us into a new world, kind of. Yeah, okay. I see. Right? Yeah, okay. And so what they're getting at here is that we always talk about how we have to suspend this belief to watch Better Call Saul. Yeah. But what's actually happening is that the character better the character of Saul Goodman is is drawing us in to a different kind of world right through these through this through all these movements through the magic that he does the magic hands and yeah yeah 
And one of the reasons why I started to put this all together was because I was puzzling over the relationship with, between Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, because this is what fans struggle with. Yeah. And, and they're always looking at the narrative, right? How does yep. the narrative fit? What happens to uh, Nacho? What happens to um, freaking so-and-so? And how can they be here? And how does Breaking Bad feed in? How do they connect? Yeah. Right? But if you look at it just in terms of the movement, and the magic of the movements, the measured movements that we're, that we're seeing here. And if you look at Jimmy as a talisman, then what we're really seeing, I think, is Jimmy, Jimmy is <laughs> better call Saul. Saul, it's not better call Saul, Saul Goodman is creating the world of Breaking Bad. Yeah. That he then ushers, oh. it's actually, I Saul. see. Yeah, it's actually Saul that brings uh, Walter Freaking. White into that world. Yeah. See, Walter White is a chemistry teacher, bummed out about life who gets lung cancer. Yeah. And Jesse's just some, some bum ex-high school student or something. They get together and Walter invents this blue sky, blue yeah. sky uh, um, meth. And then he gets all this cash and he goes to, to Saul Goodman. But it isn't Walter that brings Saul Goodman into the plot. It's Saul Goodman that brings Walter White into the, the world yeah. Yeah, that he created. Yes. So we're, okay. And we're actually watching that world being created. That's so interesting. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah, okay. So we're not I mean, just saying like what happened to Saul before Breaking Bad. We're watching Saul create Breaking Bad. Exactly. And the thing about synchronicity and why this is all so synky, because they talk about this in weird studies. If people really want to get into this, listen to this weird studies episode and, and especially where it ends up, um, because what they talk about is how these fantasy breaks, these dance scenes, these sports, yeah. they, they take you into a fantasy world. Right. But but that world is somehow has a life of its own and is somehow real. Yeah. So. On our side of the world, it looks like the writers wrote Breaking Bad and then they wrote Better Call Saul and it was all about what are we going to do next and how does it all tie together? Yeah. But in the imaginal realm, time doesn't work the same way. Yeah. There's no point of time T in the past and point of time T in the future and a, and a clear causal path. In the imaginal world, it all exists. So it's possible for Saul Goodman to create Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, what's really maybe. yes it's interesting that's, to think about that's, for the, sure. that's the, the, the mystical element of it yeah yeah okay i get it okay very good yeah i truly think between your 512 coincidence and this may 12 and another coincidence i'm about to say in a minute i really think this is truly like a this is a, a, a this is a sync storm happening here a synchronistic moment totally yeah that's i don't know funny. if anyone noticed earlier but but um I mentioned Nick Cave and his son um, dying yeah. uh, this week that was in the news before I, before I did any of this work. And I listened to the uh, Weird Studies episode, which is about uh, the movie Mandy starring Nick Cage. So we yeah. have a Nick Cave and a Nick Cage. Yeah. Right. So I'll just bring that forward and then I'll, and then we'll get a little bit further in the episode and I'll double back to it. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, so I don't really have too much else to point out about this scene. Um, so we've got Howard and Jimmy in the ring. Apart from Howard is dressed in blue and Jimmy's wearing a red helmet. Um, so again, we've got this return of the blue and the red. And this is where I thought maybe 
we've misinterpreted it and the blue is like the legal kind of world because Howard is dressed in blue and the red is kind of like that criminal undertone because of Jimmy and things, but maybe, maybe, maybe not. Well, it could be because, you know, it could be because Howard is trying on Jimmy's hat. Oh, yeah. Howard ran a scam on Jimmy to get him there. Yeah, that could be it. You know, because that's actually interesting because that would verify your whole point about the blue and the red and the blue. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I didn't even notice the hat colors. <laughs> yeah. So, well, well, yeah, Jimmy has the red boxing hat on and Howard is wearing a blue outfit, like his T-shirt and shorts are blue, I think, like a bright blue. Um, right. so yeah so also Howard... about the, the boxing ring sorry is lit from above and yeah. being lit from above or light shining down from above and I think it might go toward what you're saying of things being revealed yes. you know what yeah, people talk yeah. about a light being shone on something is revealing it oh yeah of course but it also occurred to me that it might refer to like an out of body experience like it might be Possibly. another way of referring to someone being dead and looking at things from the other side yeah it could be um, and then, of course, they're in a boxing, a boxing ring, which is the like the thing that people box in is called a ring. Yeah. And we've talked about rings and people looking through rings and yeah. everything else in the past. So I thought that was quite interesting. Totally. Um, Howard makes a comment that all roads lead to Jimmy. So there's a lot of symbolism um, in the whole series about the path that you choose and the roads that you choose. Um, and then he, he he makes reference to Hail Mary, which is like this really long shot at the end of a game. Um, but there's also yeah. like um, Hail Mary, please. And um, whenever I Googled a Hail Mary plea, I couldn't find anything specifically on it. But a plea is like uh, a plea is like a call to, to choose the, the better road to, to make choices that take you down a better path. You're pleading with somebody, you're pleading with somebody to um, do the right thing. So take the right, right. path. Um, which I thought was um, all quite interesting. So yeah, um, Jimmy starts to walk away. He's not going to take Howard up on his offer to get into the boxing ring, but he just can't help himself and off he goes in to get his shit kicked in. Yeah, yep. Legally. Um, so they each get in a few good punches, but um, Jimmy, um, Jimmy's the one that ends up on his ass. Um, and Howard says, you've mistaken my kindness for weakness. Um, mm-hmm. And that he would hope that this puts an end to it, but probably not. And of course, <laughs> he's right. Poor old Hart doesn't realize that this is all part of the scam that he was supposed to find out, you know, that, that what's it. going on. Um, yeah, so Howard leaves um, the boxing club and we um, see that he's hired a private investigator of his own who's going to be waiting for Jimmy outside and he's telling him that everything went as planned and um, that he wants to know absolutely everything that Jimmy does. Yeah. It's not completely clear that Hart isn't aware. Well, it is sort of clear that Hart isn't aware that him finding out is part of the scam, but he does say it's psych 101. You wanted to get caught. To yeah, Jimmy. that's right. Um, but then I guess he's referring to sort of an unconscious urge to get caught and therefore leaving breadcrumbs. He's yeah. not aware that it's totally deliberate. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think this is really interesting. Like before I'd, I'd kind of thought, because we thought, you know, what happens to Howard and what happens to Kim and how do they end these two story arcs and um, Howard, we always thought might err towards like a breakdown of some kind and p- potential suicide because um, he has never really come into contact with the cartel. But now we've got this private investigator who's going to follow Jimmy 
we knew from the last episode that Jimmy is also being followed by Mike's private investigators. So um, now we've got two different private investigators following following Jimmy around. They are absolutely going to discover each other. Um, and that's going to be the next thing that happens in the story. So we'll see yeah. Howard coming into, into the, the cartel story arc. And this is where the two story arcs are going to come together. Um, so I just wonder um, what's going to happen now when Mike's guys catch yeah. on to Howard's guys and they link yeah. it all together. Like what's 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 in it? What's going to happen? Well, I just I started rewatching Dirk Gently. I think I mentioned that the other week. Um, <laughs> and the same thing yeah. transpires in that um, <laughs> between Dirk and Todd. They're being followed by the CIA, the FBI and the cops. <laughs> As well as apparently this other weird group, which I forget who they are. And they all they all end up outside the apartment pointing their guns at each other. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, he tells the PI he wants to know everything hard takes off, and then we see Jimmy come out and um Jimmy come out of the gym and the PI start to follow him. Right. And then we cut to Kim on the balcony. Yes, um, Kim on the balcony looking down from above and uh, previously in the last scene there we saw these uh, upper they're looking down from above shots of the street and everything. Yeah, and, um, yeah. Kim is outside smoking. We've seen mm-hmm. Kim smoking a lot. Like we so have hardly much. seen Jimmy smoking at all, like before they smoked together. Yeah. Um, we saw Kim at the start of this episode, or not at the start of the episode, was it? No, I don't think so. But where she lights up in the apartment and you even get like the crackle of the cigarette paper when she lights up, like it's a really intense moment. Um, yeah. But I just wonder if it's um, if it's suggesting that Kim's going to get smoked. <laughs> <soon>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we see Kim smoking a lot. Jimmy hardly ever smokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we commented before about how that had kind of disappeared and now it's like back with a vengeance. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a very femme fatale. Yeah, for sure. Um, So Jimmy gets home. um, We Kim looks a bit surprised whenever he gets out of the car with the ice pack and we meet them in the bathroom then where Jimmy's trying to cover up the bruise with makeup. um, And Kim wants to know what's he doing? Like, why is he doing that? You know? Yes. Um, Yeah, he's got to be in court, he says, and she says it might be an asset. You know, you fight for your clients. Yeah, she clearly enjoys this aspect of Saul. She really loves it. She almost has an accent in this. She almost has an East Coast accent. Like if you listen to it back, she sounds different. Um, The way she sits is different. Like she's sitting on the toilet. I think she's sitting on the toilet. Um, Mm. And the way she sits and the way she's holding her body is different. And how she sounds is different and the way she moves is different. I just thought it was um, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, Um, good. And uh, yeah, it kind of stood out. Um, she tells him that she got a name for the judge, that it's Judge Rand Casim- Casimiro. Like, I yeah. can't remember what the significance of him is because they say that he's a retired judge. Um, but maybe retired judges do hear civil cases. I don't know. Like, it seems strange, doesn't it? It does seem strange. And I read a little bit of banter. You never know what to believe if you're not an expert yourself in terms of the fan response. But a couple of people did point out that it's not very realistic. But the thing is that, as I'm coming to appreciate, it doesn't, we're not in the real world here. That That's what we have to realize. Um, we're in a, in a fantasy world, which is coming out of the yeah. self-created imagination or nightmares of, or whatever, yeah. of uh, Saul Goodman. And so really yeah. things, things, it's like in Dirk Gently, but it's like this in all narrative storytelling, really. 
that things just happen in the plot that happen to serve the protagonists and the antagonists in one way or another, usually highly coincidental events. It's quite normal. Yeah. You know, I mean, if Dorothy can go to Oz and there are munchkins and, you know, there's a, a wicked witch <laughs> yeah. who's green, then for God's sake, you know, this judge can just be whatever they want the judge to be. <laughs> <laughs> whatever Kim and Jim need the judge for, that's what it's he is. It's so true, though, like that in certain, whenever we watch certain TV and certain, um, I guess, theatrical productions, we're very forgiving about reality and we're very willing to suspend disbelief. Whereas you come yep. across a show like this and all of a sudden we're like, oh, it's so unrealistic. And, you know, what about Star Wars and Star Trek? You know, it's like I know. total fantasy. Like, why can there not be a little bit of fantasy in this life too, in this world? Totally. And you know what? I bet if you, if we watch Breaking Bad, which I think a lot of people are going to do or probably are doing already. Yeah. It's not very realistic either. No, definitely I mean, not. I mean, that, and I think it was the end of season one or something where the two planes collide in the air. Yeah. I mean, people, this doesn't happen. Well, did that not mm-hmm. happen? I thought that happened. Well, it, has it, maybe, maybe it's once. happened once in all of history. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. Not when, not when you're Walter White and you killed the daughter of the guy who works in the fucking airplane place, <laughs> steers the planes, yeah. and he's depressed, so he doesn't do his job, so the planes crash into each other. Oh, you know, God, it doesn't yeah, happen yeah. in those circumstances. So, you know, yeah, yeah. we can't really say that we're looking for reality out of these shows. That's the thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, funny. So, yeah, uh, they're looking at the picture of the judge there, and Jimmy comments on how the mustache, what a great mustache it is. Um, look at those handlebars, I think. And he said that um, it means there's less face to worry about. So I think yeah. that's a clue as to what's coming up. So there's less face to worry about. Are we, um, we know from whenever we looked at their post note board that there was a, that one of the post notes about this scam was cast, has was written on the page. And we thought maybe that suggests the return of the camera crew. Right. Um, and now Jimmy's talking about how the mustache and the judge means that there's less face to worry about if somebody's going to try and impersonate him. Um, yeah, that's right. So that's going to be, I think that'll be how the next phase of the scam kind of takes shape. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I agree. There's there's something there. So he says, unless he shaves, is what he says. Now, in the movie I just watched on the plane, um, since when I barely slept, um, in the electric life of Lewis Wayne, he has a mustache. Yeah. Um, but, but he specifically has a mustache to conceal his hair lip. Oh, okay. And um, not the actor, the character. Yeah. And when he meets the um, when he meets the new governess, uh, Emily, um, he accidentally walks in on her when she's uh, virtually naked. And then uh, he feels bad. So in order to appease this, he, he's first of all very paranoid because he falls in love with her immediately. But he doesn't know if it's going to be requited. So he's terrified that he's going to know she's going to notice the hair lip under the mustache. But after he walks in on her almost naked, he he to atone, he cuts the mustache off so that the lip can be naked and she can see. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. Moaning, so it was like the mustache and the mustache. And the mustache also came up in um the other movie that I watched, uh, which was all about con artists, specifically um mentalists. Right. Yeah. Bradley Cooper, that's the guy's name. And uh, at one point, someone says he tried to railroad us with that fancy mustache. Yeah. And it was like, you know, mustache, 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 something about this mustache. And um, in in the Weird Studies episode towards the end, Pierre-Yves Martel, I think, is he is that the guy or is that the guy who does the music? One of the brothers. 
uh, I get their names mixed up. I should, it's terrible. I've listened to almost every episode of this show and I can't instantly recall their names. That's appalling. <laughs> um, anyway, he says, he talks about how the movement is also about the movement in the face. And we've observed a lot in Breaking or in yeah. Better Call Saul how there's so much physical facial acting in this yeah, show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they always make time for the expressions. Yeah, for and sure. So this is like just some play, you know, they're playing with this, uh, this stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. There's this great moment in the scene where Jimmy's leaning against the door frame. So Kim's in bed and he comes out of the bathroom leaning against the door frame. And um, he he comments, he repeats Kim's line back to him, to her with the big smile on his face. I'll fight for you. And she has like this cute little <laughs> smile on her face. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he talks about how he should have left hired standing. Um, like he yachts in the ring, um, but he, he instead he let him uh, he let Howard suck him into his game, which I thought was quite interesting. Turn of phrase that Jimmy thinks he's the one that's been sucked into this game, but it's actually Jimmy's game that everybody else has been sucked into. You know, that's exactly right. And you know the other remember remember in the last episode um, we commented on there was some comment sideways reference to the Godfather. I thought, yeah. and I realized that in the Godfather Part Three. Right. I'm going to do a visual here, but you have to imagine it. And if you haven't seen it, uh, it's a, it was one of the famous moments where Al Pacino, um, he's trying to get out of the mob business and yeah. he's standing there in the kitchen and he says, I try to get out. And then he goes, but they pull me back in. And he does this pulling thing. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, they pull me back in. Oh, and the it, movement. Yeah. Yes. The magic and it, hands. Yeah. And it looked just like when Jimmy was pulling the sign out of the ground. Yeah, yeah, okay. He did exactly the same thing. He wrapped his fists around it like that. And here he's saying, um, he sucked me into his game. Yeah. And that was the line echoed from The Godfather. Yeah, yeah, that's back so in. cool. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, Kim Kim tells Jimmy what he thinks now. Kim totally puts ideas in his head. Like she starts to speak <laughs> yeah. from here again. And, and she goes, you had your reasons. And he's like, like what? <laughs> like what are my reasons? And she was like, because you know what's coming next. And she takes his hand, like she very subtly takes his hand in bed. Um, and again, here we, we see from above Kim lying very peacefully and has no facial expression, looks almost very at peace and um, a little bit menacing. And Jimmy just looks so uncomfortable. Um, yeah. with that thought that he knows what's coming next, you know what's coming next. Um, and he just looks terrified. Yeah, it's very odd, isn't it? I mean, it's it is odd. I mean, we're sort of still a little confounded by the fact that Jimmy was so open to scamming originally. Yeah, that he appeared to have no conscience, and then that's right. As Kim got more into it, he started to develop a conscience after Chuck died. But then we need to again. We're thinking in this narrative way that we need to get back into a, a Jimmy that has no conscience for him to fully bring the Breaking Bad world into being. Right. That's right. That's yeah. That's sort of where we're going. It is. It's interesting, isn't it? It was really whenever, I think it was whenever he got Lalo out of prison that Jimmy started to become very uncomfortable with where things were going. Right. You know, up yeah. until then, he was happy to kind of play along a little bit, but it was that yeah. that scam where he gets Lalo out of jail and that he felt very uncomfortable with it, you know? Yeah, um, it reminds me of that Al Foreman song. I think it's yeah. Al Foreman, Happy Go Lucky Me. You know that? He's like, Happy Go Lucky Me. It's like, <laughs> that was the old Jimmy, you know, he's just so happy go lucky. Everyone yeah. was his friend. He goes to court. Everyone wants to, uh, you know, rub shoulders with Jimmy McGill. Yeah, and yeah. now it's all turned to, to dust in his mouth. 
It's funny, isn't it? Because Jimmy always has, Jimmy carries a lot of guilt because he thinks that he is the one that has brought Kim into this world and that, that he's the reason that they're in this situation. But actually it's Kim that's done it. Like Jimmy, Jimmy didn't want to pursue a connection with the cartel. Like he tried to end it with Lalo at the start, although he took the $100,000 for collecting like the, mm-hmm. the, the bail money and stuff. But it's Kim now that has been pushing for this takedown of Howard. So they're in this situation because of Kim, not because of Jimmy. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's true. But then there's an ambiguity. I had the same feeling with the electric life of Lewis Wayne. It, it wasn't clear who was working the magic, right? Yeah. Who is it that's working the magic in the show? Um, and if we look all the way back to the beginning, um, it's, it's sometimes hard to tell. Like, so who brought, uh, Chuck into the picture, who brought, it's not so much about, it's not so much about who does it in the narrative. Yeah. It's about whose magic is working in the show. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be temporal, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah. I don't know if that makes total sense, but way back when Jimmy... (laughs) Jimmy was in it does. Jimmy was in the room with Howard and Chuck, remember, and Chuck was all being Mr. Fancy Pants, amazing lawyer, and Kim yeah. was all fawning. And uh, yeah. and Jim sort of decided at one point in one stroke he was gonna become a lawyer and get Kim. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. They were standing outside the lot, the library. Wasn't that it? They were outside the library, and then later in the episode, Jimmy goes in at the end, he goes into the library and starts to read the law books. Um, yeah. yeah yeah for sure i mean um, and you could take it all the way back you could say that if you go all the way back to their childhood when jimmy was scamming everyone including the parents that could have yeah. been chuck's primary motivation for becoming a lawyer oh it could have been definitely he, yeah definitely saw what was happening yep he wanted to defend the little guy yeah, yeah. for sure oh my god that's some deep shit um, but anyway, <laughs> back to back to back to this episode. Um, so yeah, um, we've got less than a minute left in this Zoom meeting. Fucking Zoom, fucking Zoom, introducing the yeah. forty-five minute time limit. Swear let's to just God. call it right. Yeah, no fuck, fuck Zoom. We love you, Zoom. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, end this and come back in. All right. Bye. Uh, so where did we right. get to? So we just finished talking about uh, the mustache and you know what's going to happen next. And Oh, yeah. So we're ready Jim. to move on. Yeah. To Mike and Gus. No, we cut. to. Oh, yeah, we do. So we cut to the, the next scene. We cut to the neighbor um, who's driving her car past Gus's house. And we see her pull into the garage with Mike in the trunk. Um, so this is where we get that nice shot of her um, number plate, the number plate in her car, which is eight, eight and four. Um, and yeah. So Mike gets out of her car and heads into the into her house, and she is we chat with the security guard about what's been going on, um, and not much apart from Gus is neurotically cleaning the bathroom. Right. Yeah, with a toothbrush. Yeah. Um. So noon uses come. Uh, Mike said that he's uh, that it's a waiting game. That sooner or later he's going to end up right here is what Gus said. Not yeah, Gus, um... Mike. It's what Mike said. And then I think this is the moment when Gus kind of puts two, two and two together and he mm-hmm. thinks, well, actually, sooner or later, he's going to end up in the pit is, is what's right. going to happen. That the, where Lalo is, is um, like he made a comment about how he can't strike yet, like he isn't able to strike yet. I think that means because he doesn't really have any evidence or any reason to, like Gus is quite clever and knows that he can't do it without a reason. 
and right. he's put two and two together that Lalo's been obsessed with this hole and that that is actually where they'll end up. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so off they go uh, out um, to the pit. Uh, and... Before we do that, like you mentioned yep. before about light being shone from above and everything else. Normally yes. the art in the show is on point. Like the, the art that we see on people's walls is just fucking crazy. Like it's so good. And yeah. we see it in this episode two later on when we're at Marguerite's place. And But in this scene with Mike and Gus over Mike's shoulder in the hallway, there's this really yeah. fucking weird picture of like a landscape with like a lady floating above the landscape, almost like she's an angel being lit from above, And um, which I thought That's was right. really weird. It just looked really out of place. Um, yep. because normally the art is great and maybe some people love that kind of art it's just not my cup of tea um, but I noticed it and thought that it was very different versus the style of art that we normally see yeah I noticed it um, I wasn't going to mention it because I feel like it might be something I'm supposed to recognize but don't yes and, uh, <laughs> therefore I look like an idiot <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah but yeah it's totally our attention is clearly drawn to it we're supposed to see it there um yeah like whenever gus came out of um los pollos from uh, hermanos earlier um and we saw him pictured with the sun behind him in the sky yeah it's a similar image here we're seeing just to, we're just seeing it framed slightly differently um For and sure. again it's this idea of being looked down upon from above you know first of all he's cleaning the bath and mike's looking down at him then he gets up and he's got this angel over his shoulder yeah and then in the next scene where we switch to now um, they go into the pit and he sh and uh, Mike is they're looking down on the pit from above yeah. and Mike's standing there pointing his flashlight down on the pit and then Mike gets out and Gus goes down into the pit yeah yeah for sure so um, it's a very deliberate um a very deliberate set of images around uh, Gus but yeah I like the painting I like no I don't like it in terms of I love this painting what a great painting I mean <laughs> I liked how they shot it and it clearly means something I'm just not completely clear on what I it know is. we don't know what it is but then we don't know what any of this shit means you know what I mean it could <laughs> absolutely nothing um it could all just be a big coincidence um but yeah, yeah so anyway as you say um Gus heads down into the pit and Mike heads off um I don't think Mike has made the connection with um with Gus, the same connection that Gus has made. So Mike makes the comment that they'll put more guys on the house and we'll put more guys in the place. If that's what you're thinking, I think in Mike's head, Gus is planning to move into the pit, which isn't well, isn't going to happen. But <laughs> Gus, I think, is one step ahead and knows that actually this is where the showtime with Lalo is likely to take place. And yes. so he heads down into the pit and he starts counting out like the number of yards again, that very deliberate movement where he's counting out the number of yards to... Um, the machinery and he hides his guns then in the tracks of the of the digger yeah so note here that we they're in a cave like uh place so we have a yeah. cave and all the bars uh we've been seeing everywhere being like a cage as we've commented like being in prison like in a cage so we've got both cages and a cave yeah. in this episode it's not the first time we've had bars and and the pits so it's yeah. not really the first time that both cages and caves have come up really yeah yeah for sure um but uh, I just wanted to, to draw attention to that because remembering we have um, the Nick Cave article yeah. and then the Nick Cage participation in the Mandy movie. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do think the, there might be just something about going on with Gus there. I might as well mention it now. So I watched on. I had read about Nick, the death of Nick Cave's second, the second death of one of his siblings yeah. this week. Um, before I had done this work 
And uh, then I watched the movie, The Electric Life of Lewis Wayne. Yeah. Uh, having already listened to the Weird Studies episode and all. And then weirdly, you know what the weird thing is, Jimmy? What? I had Nick. So I had Nick Cage already in Mandy. I'd already done that. Yeah. And this is The Electric Life of Lewis Wayne, which I chose to watch because of the electricity. And I was thinking about Chuck. Yeah. There's a quote, quote by one of the actors. One of the actors says to the main character, Lewis Wayne, because he moves to New York to try to get away. Yeah. After Emily dies, they say, you can't run away from your grief. It trails you like a violent shadow. <laughs> yeah. I had read in the Nick Cave article, we went to LA because Brighton had become too yeah. sad, but we brought our sadness with us. So we went back. It trailed them. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, The Electric Life of Lewis Wayne, Nick Cave is narrating with the voice of H.G. Wells. No way. He plays H.G. Wells for a snippet at the yeah. end of the movie in which he is, of course, H.G. Wells wrote The Time Machine. So, so really, like, that is beyond. That's, that's beyond coincidence. Yeah, that's mad. When I've got Nick Cave over here, Nick Cage over here, and Caves and Cages in here, two characters <laughs> carrying around grief within them. Nick Cage's character, Mandy, it's the same thing. His girlfriend is taken by these black skulls and is ultimately dead. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, he's seen happy and he hallucinates her. Yeah, he's yeah. He's happy. But but I think rather the point there is that when you've lost someone, they're always with you. They're, yeah. they're always there and your grief never goes away. That's the point in the, the Mandy movie, as well as in The Electric Life of Lewis Wayne. Yeah. And Gus is also carrying around this deep grief about this person Facts. he lost. Yeah. Yep. And I think Gus is really anxious here because it was the Salamancas that murdered Max. Yeah. And he's triggered. Oh, yeah. Okay. By by the Salamancas coming after him now. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? That so makes he's sense. A, yeah. He's in a really heightened state. That's where his paranoia is coming from. This, this deep. Yes, I get it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, we've also got Jimmy still carrying around his grief of chuck thinking about now being judged by chuck in the situation that they find themselves in so yeah very good yep the nice little piece of um synchronicity woven into weaves. everything it all weaves <laughs> together yep yeah for sure um so yeah we leave gus in the pit and we join marguerite at the bar in germany and now we find out where lalo is we we find out what's been going on with lalo um, she tries yeah. to help a couple of kids that are playing the quiz game behind her, but they ignore her and they lose. The, um, the questions in the quiz game are deliberate. So the first one is about who scored a winning goal for Germany in a World Cup. So it's a sports reference. Yeah. And and football is referred to the game. You know, it's like a, it's like a dance, you know, yeah. so it's all about deliberate movements. And, uh, you know, what, what we all talked about earlier Um uh, football, the, of course, soccer is is it's European soccer that that it's in reference to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but again, there. See what they're doing is they're commenting on the narrative. Who was the winner and who scored the goal? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. not, that's separate from attention to the movement of the game. Yeah. The, the second question was about who was the first lady to. I think it was going to space. That's right. And that question is the other recurring theme in the show, which is looking down on the world from above. <laughs> Uh, yeah okay fair enough right yeah yeah for sure <laughs> yeah yeah 
That's interesting. Sometimes. That's really good. Um, so yeah, so she tries to help them with the the giving them the right answer or showing them the right way, and of course they ignore. So again, we've got the theme of people being shown the right road to take and not taking yeah. it. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, then somebody called Ben turns up. So Ben turns up. Who is Lalo? So Lalo turns up, orders himself a nice uh, martini and um, starts a conversation with the bartender about where he's from in America. And of course, it's a conversation that Marguerite is supposed to overhear. Marguerite is the um, the wife of, I've forgotten his name. Uh, Werner. The wife of Werner, who is also yeah. grieving. So grief is like a really big theme then in this episode. Yes, good point. Yeah, the management and, of grief. Uh, Margareta, yeah. Yeah, Same so thing. She- so she has a conversation with Lalo all about Werner and the circumstances that led up to his death, although they're the circumstances that she's been told um, by the law, the lawyers. So he's clearly here just to get a bit of dirt on what they were doing. Um, and right. again, like a moment of suspended belief where um, how does Lalo figure out who she is and where she is and, and how does he get there and how does he know that she's in the bar and, you know, everything else. But anyway, it's a bit of fantasy. Um, yeah. He clearly has a very far reach. Maybe that's what they're they're saying is that the cartel is very powerful and they've got a very um far reach. Um yeah, so Lalo's digging for some information. They bond over drinks and um he doesn't get an invite home, which I guess is what he was hoping for. Yeah, that's right. Um I mean, not forgetting that it was Jimmy that got Lalo out of um prison. And yeah. so and then him getting Lalo out of prison is what sort of set a chain of events in motion with uh, Nacho and uh, Lalo escaping death and being supposedly dead, but not dead. And then Hector yeah, and all the rest true. of it. So, so Jimmy's a linchpin in that situation too. So that's, that's where really, the, yeah, that's true. So Jimmy did create that situation in the action yes. of getting Lalo out of jail. Nacho would never have been in Mexico. None of that would have happened. That's uh, right. Yeah, so Jimmy created that that world. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, he's, he's created all of it. I mean, it was Jimmy that it was through Jimmy that we met Mike at the beginning because Jimmy was the first one to meet Mike in the in the That's he right. was the parking lot attendant. That's right, and it was that yeah and Nacho too. Were parking charges? Yeah. Jimmy also first encountered Nacho and Tuku through the yeah. two skateboarders. Yeah, that's right. He did. That's right. Back in season one, yeah. remember that yeah. and the ants. Yeah. The ants. <laughs> But this is the thing, right? This is what's magical about it. This is where the movements part gets in, you see. So yeah, in, a, if you, the, in the Weird Studies episode, you know how they talk about how all the people who are doing a musical number in a musical? Yeah. Nobody questions the reality of that situation. Nobody's like, <laughs> yeah, how can we all synchronize like this? Or nobody's like, where's the orchestra? I mean, we're all dancing, but where's the music coming from? <laughs> in the movie, yeah. Yeah, because you have to be, you're just in that world, right? And that's what this is like. Jimmy, at no point does Jimmy think, wait a minute, I saw Mike and then I saw Nacho and Tuco and then I got Lalo. Maybe I'm a character in a TV show. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's funny, yeah. That's but no, funny. The, the characters themselves don't, they don't know. Yeah, for sure. Oh yep. God, yeah. So I bet if we went back to everything, we'd be able to, we'd Probably. be able to put that jigsaw together about how we're now creating the big the, the world of breaking bad of breaking bad exactly that is said in um yep. but anyway so they leave the bar he walks her home 
Um, they have this conversation at the gate and then we have this really weird moment of CGI that just felt very, very out of place. It mm-hmm. almost seemed like the scene where he takes her to the gate and then they pan out. So we're watching them from across the street. We're looking down at them from above. Um, it just felt very CGI, like it was a video game of some kind, like it was unworldly. <laughs> yes. like it just felt really weird. I mean, they couldn't, um, I don't know if it was like, you know that scene in Austin Powers where there's, he's with Felicity Shagwell and they're supposedly driving around outside London. And he's like, isn't it remarkable how much that England looks like the western coast of California or something like that? <laughs> yeah, I know. I <laughs> he's know. driving around Big Sur and his like Jaguar. It's so um, it's, funny. Yeah, I just thought like, they're not, are they not going to fly Lalo to Europe to shoot one scene? Yeah, to get one shot of the house, so they basically just drew a picture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just looks so weird. And then um, maybe that was to do with the pandemic or something. I don't know. We forget this was filmed at the high, or well, no, it was just after the second wave, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I can't believe we have we managed to record like six seasons of, of better of Saul Rewind without talking about the pandemic. I don't the think pandemic. we talked about it before, <laughs> and like, <laughs> I don't think anyway. we, we, we talked about it a little bit. Um regarding chuck because he was uh, in isolation oh yes I that's think right it, oh on retirement and the trucker protests and all that crap oh fuck yeah that was funny <laughs> god those poor truckers i still can't believe the canadian government stole all their money i um, know poor buggers fuckers. Um, poor little anyway buggers. so yeah so we get this really weird cgi scene and uh, we see lalo cross the street and fade out with this like really um interesting music the, the the background like they're deliberately making a big deal of lalo being faded out and then mm-hmm. the, the next day people get faded back in again it just i don't know it seemed a bit weird and a bit random but that that that's a, that's the thing it's like uh it's the way it's the way the tv world separates specific movements from the narrative element yeah like in real life you don't notice the fact that people are walking in and out of houses or the, the movements that they're engaged yeah. with but the right the, the showrunners are trying to disrupt our perception of narrative yes you know, okay. i realized this when i i don't normally read the fan stuff online but i went after i read a new york times article and then i read through all the comments and yeah. it's amazing how you see how the fandom is very caught up in the plot yes okay the plot and the narrative and yeah okay yeah and i really feel that the directors are trying hard to disrupt that um yeah i see yeah okay think that um approach has anybody else picked up on the number play like i haven't read around on any of this like i deliberately don't read anything because i kind of just want to have my own thoughts um have you come across the number play before i wonder if it is something or if it's just a bit of random synchronicity Someone noticed the lie, the three seventeen on the clock. Um, I haven't. No, I haven't. Well, I haven't done that much reading myself. No, yeah. I haven't read anything like um the, the level of the, Yeah, no, nothing I like just, that. Level I find of it hard to believe that that isn't all built in, that it isn't all planned in. It's there's just too much of it. I know. I mean, when you look at every, so when we really start to break down scenes in this show, the way we're starting to do, I mean, it's yeah. clear that almost every element is purposeful yeah for sure yeah um but anyway so uh we have this really weird video game moment and then um, we see the next day that lalo's still um in germany and he breaks into her house to have a good look around um having a wee chat with her dog she comes home and interrupts him and again we get the real menacing side of lalo when he, he attaches his silencer to the gun ready so ready just to pull the trigger and fucking kill her you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's so callous and so cold 
yeah. after um, bonding with her over drinks. And then uh, I guess he has a good look through a lot of the files in the books. And the last thing that his attention's caught by is the ornament, um, the ornament that was made or the little plaque that was made. Right. And um, which brings us in a full, full circle back to the start of the episode. Um, right. She goes upstairs and um, we get some really great art again on her walls. Like some of her art was just fantastic. Mm. And um, yeah, he's taken off out the window and he's no yeah. longer there like a ghost. Yeah. So Bearing out like a ghost in, in the CGI moment and he disappears <laughs> out through the window like a ghost. Um, yeah, that's right. Out through the window. Yeah, but we don't know if he took the ornament with him or not. It didn't give us, like, we see him pay attention to the ornament. He goes over and he picks it up. And then in the next few scenes, we don't see where the ornament was. Like, it's deliberately shot so that you can't, so it's obscured where it was sitting. So we don't know if he took that or not. And I wonder if that will come up again. I'm sure it will. Yeah. I'm sure it will. Um, The tension, I thought, was really deliberately built in. Um, there were a couple of tense scenes. There was this one, and I forget um, what the other one was. But um, yeah, there was definitely a feeling of tension, and even the boxing match was like muscle tension, you know. And yeah, I thought, you know, there were hints of that throughout. And then uh, this was like the setup, you know. This is like the set piece that you get in a soccer game. There's when the yeah. ball goes out for a corner or something, or it's a musical number as a set piece. And this is sort of one of the ways they're approaching the show is they give us a little bit of narrative build up towards a point, And then we get this thing in itself. Yeah. And, and often there's no dialogue in it. It's all about the movement. And this was this thing. It was just like the boxing match. It was all about swinging and punches. And then yeah. in this one, Lau didn't say anything at all. She barely spoke apart from to address the dog. That's right. Um, the dog was Little Bear. That's um, right. I don't know how deliberate that could be, but there's a constellation little bear. So again, it's implied oh, that the, the space sky. thing, but yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if that's, that's the meaning of that, but oh, and also, and also Lala was looking at the little bear through the, the, barred the bars. Yeah. Gate. I noticed that. But other than that, it was all movement. Yeah. Know? This whole scene, especially yeah. after she returns to the house and he's moving around upstairs still. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So really, really interesting. Um, what do you think is coming next? I have no idea. Um, one, there was a lot of speculation in that particular fan article. And then one person said, look, these, these are the writers of this show find a way to throw a curveball at you. Oh, definitely. We've never really successfully predicted anything yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we predicted one... the sex worker, but like that came okay. up. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. But we didn't true. know the we didn't know the details of the scene. We couldn't have put the scene together, but we knew it involved a sex worker. Um, yeah. And the next scam we know involves a cast of some kind and someone impersonating the judge. Yes, that's right. Will um, that be Will that be some form of video, or will it be like a theatrical production of a different kind? Like, are they going to delay the judge and then put like a stand-in in place in the courtroom? Would it be as far-fetched as that? Or would it just be some kind of video thing? You know, what is it that's happening? What is it that'll happen? And is this yeah. what puts hard over the edge? Does this push hard over the edge or is it something else? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. And uh, no one, yeah, people aren't really sure. Like uh, Kim, um, I, I feel that, We've had this pattern now of certain characters at least consenting in some way um, yeah. to their own demise. Whereas yeah. Howard is clearly more of the char- Chuck variety. Yeah. He's not fully comfortable in the world that Saul Goodman 
is creating. Yeah. And so he's going to have to be elbowed out. Whether whether Jimmy's comfortable with it or not, Howard's out. And now yeah. going to jail doesn't seem to be out enough. We no, know I that. Don't think so. You know what I mean? Like for Nacho, it was kind of the same thing. Nacho yeah. had too much honor, he had too much dignity. Yeah. For he sure. didn't belong in this world. And that's why he was. Yeah. He was out. Well, suicide and, uh, has always played a big theme in the show. Like Chuck committed suicide, Nacho committed suicide. Um, right. There's this, like I noticed on on the Netflix opener. Like this might be a spoiler for some per- for some people. I don't know if it if it means anything or not. But like in the in, do you know the way they always have the little warnings along the top? They say how the show's rated and suicide right. was included as one of the themes in this episode. So okay. and I don't know if that means that it's going to play a bigger part of the rest of the series, or mm-hmm. if it just is because Nacho has committed suicide at the start of the series. Maybe they then apply that warning to all of this, all of the episodes. Yeah, um, but I don't know if that means that we're going to see the suicide of another cast member or not. Well, I mean, certainly if both Hard and Kim either suicide or 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 self self sacrifice, that starts to going to look like a just basically a pattern or, or a trope of the show, and that yeah that may not be rewarding. So I don't think yeah. we're gonna. I I I think maybe I it's improbable. Don't. Yeah, one of them might, so. but. We've already had two key characters that do it. So is it actually, yeah. is it going to happen again? I don't know. Could one of them die accidentally? And then as a result of that, the other one take their own life because of the guilt that they feel? Like that seems like it might be plausible. But again, um, yeah. now with this inception of, um, or the insertion of uh, Howard's PI, Howard's private investigator, who's going to tail Jimmy and is going to find out about Mike and the private investigator, like that is definitely going to become a story point. Like I, I don't think there's any way that it couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. At this stage, you know, they've got two different investigators. We know we already know that Mike's guys are a bit shaky. Like mm-hmm. Kim discovered Mike's guys. So the private investigator that hired ha- hired is definitely going to discover them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So is that what's going to happen now that Howard will understand the full breadth of Jimmy's involvement with the cartel? Maybe Howard becomes an informant um, for the DEA. Maybe that's what happens and he goes into witness protection, but then he's got HHM. So why would he leave his firm? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much yep. happening. So much happening. Let us know That's what right. you think, listeners. We know that you're out there. We really appreciate that you listen. Actually, last week we had a really big jump in the number of people that are listening. Um, so we really appreciate you tuning in. Um, let us know what you think. Solrewind at gmail.com. Um, let us know what you think. Yeah. 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 Um I could have said more. I could have blabbed more about the coincidences and correspondences between those movies. Um, if people are really into Better Call Saul and they want to watch a good movie, they could watch The Electric Life of Lewis Wayne, which okay. you'll find other correspondences. And if you also watch Nightmare Alley, um, I just happened to watch these all in the same week. Um, you'll see other yet again correspondences between all these movies. Yeah. And um, as a psychological set, um, beyond the synchronicity value of you know, this week's events, um, they're definitely worth checking out, especially if you want sure. to explore some of these themes. Yeah. Very good. I might watch one of those movies. I'll see how time how time shakes out of the tree. Yeah. Very busy. Um, do you have anything else to add about this, about this particular episode? I mean, not really. I think I got my main points out. I know it was probably in a scattered way, but uh, yeah. yeah. 
but yeah i'm i was really happy that the way things unfolded this week enabled me to sort of um reconsider the series as a whole you know in terms of placing each of better call saul and breaking bad in light of each other yeah um if you release yourself from the notion that Better Call Saul is a spin-off of Breaking Bad, and instead of think of Breaking Bad as a spin-off of Better Call Saul, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, then it helps. It. Yeah, sure. And um, who's to say it's not actually the case? And of course, the Nick Cave, the Nick Cave, and the Nick Cage coincidence was just—that's um, a nice little piece of synchronicity. Remarkable. I know yeah. for sure. Like I was a bit underwhelmed by this episode. Like the first time I watched it, I just it ended before I was ready for it to end. Like I almost kind of lost track of the time and it ended with, with that scene with Lalo being jumping out the window. And I was like, what the fuck? How can the episode be over? Like nothing yeah. has happened. Like how can the episode be over already? Yeah. Um, the first time. And then the second time I watched, it, I picked up on the number play and that, that was kind of a hook to get back into it. It was a fun little exercise that, to go back and trace yeah. it all through, you know, um, that's right i mean our 512 synchronicity is just like madness oh it's, it's totally insane it's off the I, charts this week yeah that i that, that all that 512 existed in the episode that i realized that on the 5th of may or on the 12th of may 512 yeah. and everything else you know you're saying we're recording on 512 in vancouver you know what it is yeah. it's pretty it's mad like it is it's totally mad it is mad it's mad it's a mad world and if we were to go through all of this again we'd probably see even more stuff I know that's the thing and I'm sure there's loads like if viewers or listeners want to go back through it I'm sure there's loads more stuff in there yep. um, let us know if you find anything um, mm. yeah so should we call it then is that us yeah I think we're good great stuff well thanks so much for listening as we said um, we think like last week we saw like this big jump in the number of times that um, we've been listened to and it seems like there's a handful of you out there that have gone right back to the start of episode one. God, you've listened through five whole seasons. That's fantastic. Um, we really hope that you've enjoyed it and that you're getting some something out of it. Um, yep. It's a lot of fun to record. We do it for fun. We don't do it for anything else. So yeah, um, thanks so much for listening. We hope that you enjoy the show. Let us know what you think. Um, SolRewind at gmail.com. Make sure you check out our Instagram, which is at SolRewind. Um, on Instagram, there's a ton of really great, um, cute little artwork that I do every week, um, which I really enjoy too. So there'll be some nice little pieces being added um, this week too. So um, make sure you follow us there. And um, if you do enjoy the show, hit that subscribe button. It really does help spread the word. Yep, I agree. Thanks so much. <laughs> Is that us then? That's it. All right. Bye. 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 I just stopped recording.